The Top 1660 is back in the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the Top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the Top 1660 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. Time to talk NBA free agency and Utah Jazz with Andy Bailey, NBA analyst and writer for Bleacher Reports. Where did the Jazz stack up in the West after all the moves? Andy joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Andy, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So the question is, where did the Jazz stack up in the West? What do you think? Well, uh, it's not going to be a real definite answer. I think it's probably the same way I've talked about the Western Conference for four or five years now. I think there are three, four, five teams. You could probably make an argument for, I think they'll finish first in the West, and I think the Jazz are still in that conversation. Um, You know, obviously they finished first in the West last season and have made a couple of moves uh, this offseason. Nothing dramatic, but I do think it moves the needle a little bit. I think Hassan Whiteside, if you get the 2019-20 version of him, is going to dominate second units. And I think there's a good chance you get that guy because this is this is a much more competitive team, um, to put it mildly, than the Sacramento Kings. I was, you know, when they first made that signing, I kind of thought there's almost like a Sacramento Kings tax on your career when you go there. <laughs> um, I, I don't think there's any way to to really trust what he did last season. Um, so I think they can get the best out of him. I think Rudy Gay answers some questions for them. Another, you know, switchable forward who can hit threes. And I think the the one that I was, you know, most surprised by the Eric Pascal trade. I think there's some upside there too. Uh, potential small ball five. I know that you know everybody think I think in Utah realizes that was a problem for the Jazz in the playoffs. So they've got a few options now um, where they can counter those small ball lines. I think even Rudy Gay could be a small ball five at times. So I think they answered a bunch of questions. They're still going to be in the mix for the top seed in the West. They're they're a title contender still. So who do you think was more important of an acquisition, uh, Gay or Whiteside? I think uh, Gay, um, because, I again, I think he is potentially a small ball five. I don't know if that's how the front office sees him. I don't know if that's how Quinn Snyder sees him. Um, but I think Whiteside... I think at best what you're going to get from him is slightly better backup center play than than you got from Derek Favors. And that's important because basically for five or six years now, um, Utah's point differential falls off a cliff when Rudy Gobert leaves the floor. So if you can just find somebody to kind of stabilize that, that's good. And I think Whiteside can do that. Um, What Gay does is offer some versatility, I think. He'll probably spend most of his time at the four, which is what he's done with San Antonio the last few years. Um, but again, I, I think he has the size and, and the strength now later in his career to, to counter some of those small ball lineups and they can go two through five, really even one through five, really switchable. If you have Mitchell at the one with his wingspan um, and a bunch of those, you know, interchangeable wing slash forward types like Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, Bogdanovich, Gay. Um, if you're playing that team or that lineup against a small ball lineup for five, 10 minutes, I, I think you can, you can now counter that punch, which they couldn't really do last season. So you kind of hedged there with Rudy, uh, with Rudy Gay, about whether the front office sees him or Quinn really sees him as a small ball five. But isn't the answer really going to be 
he's going to be the small ball five sometimes, and in some matchups it's going to work, and in others it isn't, and it's just a question of how often it's going to work. It's not a slam dunk in either way, is it? Yeah, I think that's probably the right way to look at it. I don't, I don't think you should get your hopes up too high for him as being like this dynamic Draymond Green type of small ball five. Um, but he's certainly a guy who can handle the ball a little bit on the perimeter and hit threes. And, and, you know, if you have a team like the Clippers play Nicholas Batum at the five, you're no longer flummoxed by that. I think Rudy Gay would be fine in a matchup like that. And, I again, I think another option there might be Eric Pascal. Um, I, I think if I had to handicap the race, Rudy Gay is probably more likely to get that role right now. But Pascal has shown some things with the Warriors, I, I think, that are encouraging. And I think he can do some similar sm- stuff as a small ball five. So, I think the increase in versatility this offseason for the Jazz is is really big. I don't again they didn't make a move like, you know, here's this superstar free agent and we're moving up around, but they really didn't have the flexibility to do that. So I think the moves that they made were smart and I I think they nudged the needle in the right direction. And when you were when you just finished first in the West, really all you can do is nudge the needle. I mean there's there's not a lot dramatic to do. So I think this was a good, smart, savvy offseason for them. I find it funny with all the Lakers AARP moves that we're, we're months away from playing a game and it seems like they're already crying the nobody respects us card and you got LeBron and and we're underestimating them and I heard it from LeBron I think Dwight Howard said it and I, I don't know that I buy it but I also don't know that these moves really catapult them into the overwhelming favorites so I'm sort of somewhere in the middle, and let's wait and see how it plays out. Yeah, I think it's funny that he – I can't remember the exact wording of his tweet, but that he you know, deletes it shortly thereafter. I, I felt like they got universal praise for the moves that they made after Westbrook, not a bunch of people doubting them. And, and to the extent they were doubts, it was just people pointing out the age, which I think is fair. I, I wrote an article about them for Bleacher Report. I think it was – right after the Monk signing, maybe right before. Um, and they've gotten a bit younger since then. But at the time I wrote the article, the average age was like 32 and a half. Um, and then I went back and looked at the average age of championship teams for the last 10 years. And the only one that was ever over 30 was the 2012-13 heat. Um, and for the most part, there was kind of a sweet spot around 27, 28. So I think it's fair to point out their age. I, I do like their signings, like as each individual move, every time the news broke, you know, it's Wayne Ellington, it's Malik Monk. Um, you know, everyone I thought, okay, that makes sense. They needed to get shooting. That guy can shoot. Um, Kendrick Nunn, I thought was a good move. Like it, individually, each move made sense to me. When you step back and look at the roster, I think it's also true what you said, that they're not an overwhelming favorite. I, I could certainly see the argument for picking them to win it all or picking them to win the West. But I think there are still pretty real question marks about the fit between Westbrook and and LeBron. Um, I think if you've got those two and Davis on the floor, which they will obviously have for long stretches this season, there's going to be questions about spacing and shooting. I mean, even if you put your best shoot, other, you know, you fill those other two spots with your best shooters, um, it's still going to be a little bit cramped. So I think they've got, serious questions to think about there obviously like who's going to use more possessions between Westbrook and James it'll be really interesting just generally to see how Westbrook plays um so there are still a lot of questions to answer and I think with that many questions they are not an overwhelming favorite just like you said but there are no overwhelming favorites right the Jazz the Suns and the Lakers all have a shot the Clippers and the Nuggets will have a shot 
if they can get their guys healthy early enough, they get a chance to play together. But obviously, they got key guys with knee injuries. And then, how far are the Warriors bouncing back? How good is Clay after two years off? It's hard to know. But if he looks good, then they're in the mix too. So it's wide open chaos like it was this past season. Yeah. I think you broke it down perfectly there. Um, the Lakers, Suns, and Jazz are probably the closest teams to sure things, and even then you have some questions. And I think if, if we're just going to define the conversation that way, it might just be the Jazz um, because Chris Paul is going to be a year older, and, and I think it's fair to wonder if he's going to stay healthy at this point in his career with the nagging injuries that he had before the OKC run. Um, so that's a lingering concern for Phoenix. And then, you know, we just talked about the concerns – for the Lakers with the Jazz, we we pretty much know what we're going to get from them. Um, the only question is how much of a boost do you get from Rudy Gay and, and Hassan Whiteside? And then, like you said, there are there are big concerns with those other teams. I this may or may not be fair, but I might write the Clippers off right now um, with how cautious Kawhi Leonard has been with injuries in the past, and the fact that this past season got started later. Um, I would be surprised if he even came back for the playoffs with that torn ACL. I think Jamal Murray at best will be back right before the playoffs, maybe during the playoffs. So those teams both have major, major problems. I mean, that's the best player on the Clippers and the second best player on the Nuggets. And, and of course, Denver, they have, they have that fun way that they play with Nikola Jokic and he kind of lifts everybody around him. And I think Michael Porter Jr. will be better, but any team missing their second best player is, is going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, the Mavericks are kind of a wild card. I don't, you know, I don't think I'm ready to put them in a contender tier, but I think Doncic is going to be MVP caliber again, and so that's always something to worry about. So there, there are just, again, you could probably talk on and on six, seven, eight teams in the West that you could see. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they won a first round series and if things break right, kind of how they did for the Suns last year. You never know, you know, who ends up in the finals. How about on the other side of the bracket? Any moves catch your eye in the East? Um, I think Brooklyn got better, which is <laughs> kind of crazy because I think if they were healthy last yeah. year, it's, it's hard to believe they wouldn't have made the finals. I, I think they would have had a very strong chance to win the championship, obviously. Um, Patty Mills, I right. think, is a huge pickup for them. That's the one um, I would go to, they, yeah. Yeah, and they got some interesting guys at the back end of the first round of the draft. I think James Johnson is actually a pretty interesting pickup for them, too, in the front court. I think he can play some small ball five for them. Um, so <laughs> with the limited flexibility that they have, obviously they're paying three superstars too, uh, for them to kind of hit on the margins the way that they did. And especially that Patty Mills signing, I, I do think that they're better. I think, I think it's between them and the Bucks in the East. I'm, you know, I don't think anybody can have great analysis on the Sixers until we know what happens with Ben Simmons. Um, but those are, I think the clear contenders in the East. And, and obviously a lot of people are going to talk about Miami. I'm I'm kind of uh, mixed on their offseason. I don't I don't know if they I think they'll be better, but I don't think they pushed themselves into that Brooklyn and Milwaukee tier. So there have been four different champions in the last four years, and the last time that happened, there were five different champions in five years in the late seventies, early eighties. What are the odds that we'll just get a different champion outside of? Warriors, Raptors, Lakers, Bucks. I guess we can write off the Raptors, right? But outside of Warriors, Lakers, Bucks, do we get a fifth new champion in five years? 
I did not know that stat, and that's that's pretty cool. I I think that supports what we've thought about the league for a few years now that parity is in, increasing around the league, and I think that's a good thing. Um, as stars have have sort of been spread out throughout the NBA, I think it makes for a better product. It makes for an unpredict- more unpredictable postseason. And so, I, I guess the answer to the question is, I I would say yes. Um, just because you've got the field versus three, four teams, whatever it is. So a um, lot of contenders <laughs> again this year, and it's just it's fun because, again, I think there's an unpredictability that makes it you know, more enjoyable to watch these games. So as we look at it and handicapping it here months before, that there's been teams, most teams have made moves you know, around the periphery, some within the heart of the team, and we'll see how it plays out. But particularly in the West, as we look at all these moves, and by and large they're done, maybe there'll be some, depending on what happens with Simmons, so there might be some still some changes. And then, of course, you could get to the trade deadline and or the buyout market, and they could add some significant points, But uh, players, I mean. But the, the point that I'm getting at is I'm wondering now, the dust is sort of settled, not completely, if it's just uh, who's healthy again, sort of like it was this past season. Yeah, I think that could be a huge part of it. I think it's, you know, that's a huge consideration every year, but it was more so last year with the condensed set schedule and the health and safety protocols and all that. And, um, a lot of prominent injuries. I know the NBA at one point said there are fewer injury, you know, fewer games missed to injury this season than last. I, I don't really know how they conducted that study but i think it just felt like more because there's you know so many of the big injuries were to big name guys um so that was a huge consideration last season i i think just law of averages you would expect it to to be a little bit less dramatic on that front this season but you know all these teams in in basketball when there's only five guys on the floor you're pretty dependent on your one or two best players so if you if you lose a guy like that in the playoffs and again, we saw that over and over last season. Anthony Davis goes down in the first round. Jamal Murray's out for the Nuggets. I mean, it was just you know one thing after another. Um, that can sort of <laughs> lay the path um, for the champion. And obviously, the Jazz had their own issues in the playoffs too. Mike Conley missed time, and Mitchell was pretty much playing on one leg. So if if you can stay healthy, um, you're in good shape. The problem if you're a team executive or a coach or whatever, there's there's really no magic potion out there that. 100% guarantees you're going to be healthy. Um, you're playing on a hardwood floor and cutting side to side and jumping and having people underneath you, and there's a chance you're going to get hurt. So <laughs> it's, in, in a weird way, kind of a luck of the draw thing a lot of times. Well, Andy, as always, we appreciate a little bit of time. Thanks for coming on with us, and we will talk to you again when the season gets going. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Andy Bailey, you can read him at Bleacher Report, NBA analyst and writer for Bleacher Report. And everything he says is true, and that's why we had four different champs in four years. Plus the nature of the three-point shot. And there is a little bit of truth to live by the three, die by the three. And, you know, previous decade, if you had Shaq or Duncan, well, there's a reason they won almost every title for a decade. But it's a different deal now. You're not sure you want to buy that. You're squinting. Has there or have there been players like Shaq or Duncan in the game to where those players are available to dominate? Or is just the nature of the game led that there are no more players? If Shaq is an unusual physical specimen, right? 
But Duncan, Duncan and Olajuwon weren't Shaq, but they were still unusual physical specimens. I, I think they were unusual talents, but they're unusual physical specimens. Well, talents is probably a better phrase. I'll give you that. But so, they were unusual talents, but they were also just, you know, they were. It's just in that era, it was better to be six ten or seven feet and super skilled than it was to be six three and super skilled. Okay, Jordan, but, Jordan sure. at six six is just off the charts that he did what he did. But we got it's it's magic and bird and it's Jordan and it's Shaq and it's uh, Duncan and, and you're counting for most of the titles. So we're getting all these repeat winners. Why have we had four different champs in four years? Well, partly the nature of shooting, the three so important, and with everyone running and cutting and jumping, like he says, there's more injuries. How how do Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson both go down when it looked like the Warriors going to win? And that they should win, and they should three-peat, and they both go down, and the Raptors win. So injuries are part of this. A different style of the game enables guys of different shapes and sizes to win, as opposed to, hey, if you get the biggest, baddest guy, you're in the mix. Okay, but didn't Antetokounmpo, isn't he the biggest, baddest guy? Yeah, and will he repeat? So will that work? Right, but... My, or no, or my, there's enough seven-foot athletes now that there isn't one or two the way there were at, with Jack and Duncan. Well, that's because, my point. Because the Nets could win and be the fifth team in five years, and Durant's a little different, granted, but they're both seven-foot guys who are f- just wildly gifted offensively. Isn't Yanni this version of Duncan? Uh, even more athletic the, and ball handler. I mean, there's the big some, fundamental, but yeah. this version of I, the I big think man of, who can do I a think lot of, of different things. I think of Giannis more as Durant and Nowitzki. Except he can't shoot a lick from the outside. Those guys can. <laughs> Whereas Duncan right. wasn't taking threes. Yeah, but he moves more like them. Whereas Duncan moved more like a big guy. Giannis is explosive. I didn't think Duncan was explosive. So mm. I guess that's why. But you're right. Giannis, he has to be explosive to jump over you because you don't fear him on the three-point line. I mean, he'll hit a few, but you'll live with it. So I, I, my point is, if you have a wildly talented big man, he's got a place. Yeah. Does Jokic count as a wildly talented big yeah, man? Absolutely. Right. But he's more the Duncan, I think. Now, he shoots it further out than Duncan did, but he's not explosive. I view him more than Nowitzki. Yeah, but Magic and Bird weren't more explosive. explosive. No, explosive. I agree. Explosive. I agree. Just find ways to win. You don't have to be yeah. necessarily this incredible freakish athlete to win. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Are there more guys? I was about done, but let's go. Are there more guys because of the foreign player? There are just there are more guys because there are literally more guys. You answered your own question. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. <laughs>